church, I have a question. How are you guys feeling about the pews? <laughs> I hear this from you many Sundays. Those pews are hard. <laughs> they hurt my bottom. <laughs> I wish we didn't have pews. <laughs> it's something like that. So I've been thinking a lot about the pews. I'm just curious where you're at with the pews. Um, this connects, I promise. Um, because So last Tuesday, I was at our son's second grade um, parent orientation. Uh, and so it's a room full of parents meeting with the teacher, kind of getting the overview of the class and the landscape for the year ahead. And all of us parents are in these plastic chairs designed for second graders, right? So we're like <laughs> crunched up, our feet are like sticking out at weird angles and leaning back and like deeply uncomfortable in these chairs. And so I thought about the pews. And I was like, pew or second grade plastic chair? And I think the pews went out. But I really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention after a little while to the chair because the second grade teacher really grabbed me. I mean, he was there to say, here's what we're doing in second grade. Like, here's what your kids are going to learn. But way more than that, he was there to say, here's my philosophy of teaching in the classroom. Here's how I imagine this space. This is a community of learning. This will be a space with care and respect. This will be a place where it is safe to be a learner, where the focus is not on a right or a wrong answer, but engaging one another, engaging in these questions. And I was caught by that. I was captured by that. And then this other teacher came into the room and they said, here's the way we're starting to think about how we want to teach reading. And it's less about knowing all the words and what it means, though that's important. But the focus in this classroom and in the other classrooms is on perspective as you're reading, right? So where are you in the story as you're reading the story? What are you aware of as you're reading the story? How do your life experiences shape your understanding of what you're reading in the story? What might the different characters be thinking and feeling in the story based on what you know about them and can imagine? So in this classroom, reading wasn't so much about knowing every word, but rather it was this big invitation for the students to take their lives and lay that over the story and then engage with other students about their experiences. How are they hearing the story? What's their life experience? And I loved that. I forgot I was in this uncomfortable chair. I loved that vision of the classroom as this community of respect and deep engagement and this sense of we're going to go at reading thinking about where am I in the story? What's my life experience? What's your life experience? What does that open up? Because for me, it seemed like it opened up a space in the second grade classroom for conversations and learning about race, about families with two dads or two moms, about families that were configured differently or separated. It made space for all of the realities and experiences that these children were bringing into that classroom. And I left the orientation thinking, man, I kind of want to be in second grade <laughs> again. Like, I want to be in that classroom. It, it just felt like this amazingly powerful spiritual community of, of self-awareness, of cultivating that practice, of really respecting and others' opinions and reflecting on one's own life experience. And there was this thread of justice woven through the classroom 
as well. At least that's how I saw it, because there was this practice of inviting the second graders to begin to recognize that we have different experiences of the world based on the color of our skin, based on our gender, based on what language we know or languages we know, based on our family configuration. We have very different experiences of the world. So I need to be clear that the teacher didn't use the words, uh, this is a spiritual community. He didn't use the word, this is like cultivating justice in the classroom. But it was clear that he was inviting the second graders in his teaching, in his philosophy. He was inviting them into a set of learning practices that have the possibility of deeply shaping their lives. Do you all know that I almost went into teaching before I ended up in ministry? It's true, and it was for this reason. I almost went that route because I imagined the classroom as this little spiritual community, this place of very intentional practice, this place that was rooted in intimate relationships and an intimate kind of justice and deep listening and understanding as we expanded our worldviews. So that experience last Tuesday made me think about this church and this community and what we're doing in this big old faith-filled classroom. That's what this is. This is a big old faith-filled classroom here and in our religious education wing. And I don't know exactly what your experience is here, but I think we are getting clearer and clearer about the practices and the disciplines that sustain us. Are you feeling this? Yes. You have a sense of the life that we're inviting you into in this faith community. This month's theme is called Invitation because we wanted to put out this big old Ali Ali income free invitation to each and every one of you. An invitation that is meant to help us all give and receive and grow in the ways of love in this precious time we have between the womb and the tomb. The invitation is designed to help us shape our lives in such a fashion that they have purpose and meaning in this little miraculous gift of time we have between the womb and the tomb. So let me just lay it out here and tell you explicitly this life that we're inviting you into. Recognizing that as I share this, we all do what we can with where we are with what we have. And so you may respond to this invitation wholeheartedly taking every piece of it. You may say, I can do this little piece. There's not a right or wrong response to the invitation. We're gonna keep making it. You respond how it works for your life. It's just a big old invitation. So here's the life we're inviting you into in this classroom and in this community of faith. We are inviting you to cultivate a spiritual practice. We're inviting you to join a smaller community within the larger community so you are known and know others. We're inviting you with bravery and humility and compassion to work with others in service to justice. In other words, to engage in faithful action in the world. That's the essential curriculum of this spiritual classroom. I'm gonna say that again a couple times in the service. If you're like, oh, what are those three things he's inviting me to do? Like, you'll hear it again. It is the invitation that we are going to keep extending Sunday after Sunday because we believe that these practices give our lives shape and meaning. 
And before I dig into the particulars of this big old invitation, I want to say that at the heart of this invitation, we are trying to eliminate the either-or mentality that can so often trip us up when we start to think of spiritual practice on one end of a spectrum over here and then justice work on the other end of the spectrum over here. Oftentimes we come at that, it's an either-or proposition. You do one or the other. And as you heard in that reading they can, that I shared this morning, it can seem like spiritual practices in competition with justice work. And the argument goes something like this. The church is in the world to do justice. We need to be marching and rallying and protesting and advocating and changing the world. That's what the church is in the world to do. That's the purpose of a faith community. And then others will say, oh, no, 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 wait, hold on. I don't think that's right. It seems to me that the church is in the world to be a place where we are spiritually nurtured and cared for, where we awaken and develop the spiritual center in our lives. The church must care for the spiritual and emotional needs first and foremost. This can be an intense debate. It has been an intense debate in my ministry with you. I know dear people, dear people who have left the church because in their mind we've been too focused on spirituality and not enough justice work, and then an equal number of people who have left the church because we've been way too focused on justice work and not nearly focused enough on spiritual matters. And so I think there's a middle ground here. It's not either or. And I will share with you in my own journey as your, one of your pastors, it is fair to say that I started more on the spiritual side of that spectrum in my ministry. But this has changed over the years as I have come to understand how intimately linked spiritual practice and justice work are. And many of you have come to that same conclusion. You have shared stories telling me through your words, through your deeds, that your spiritual health and well-being and practice is intimately linked with justice work. I feel this even more so in our racial justice journey. So what we do here in our imperfect, beautiful, messy way what we are doing is striving toward liberation. What I mean by that is to be free from those things that hold us back, that keep us down, that prevent our light from shining in the world. Liberation is the point of spiritual practice, to be free from some of those things that hold you down. And liberation is the point of justice work, to be more free from the things that hold us back from letting our full humanity loose in the world. So here's the invitation once again. We are inviting you to cultivate a spiritual practice. We're inviting you to join a smaller community within the larger community. You can find those communities in here, in our choir, in our religious education teaching teams. We're inviting you with bravery and humility and compassion to work with others in service to justice, to engage in faithful action in the world. And let me take a minute this morning to briefly talk about the pieces of this invitation, primarily because so many of you, as we have said, it's really important to have a spiritual practice. Many of you have said, I hear ya. <laughs> and how do I do that? What exactly is a spiritual practice? How do I get anchored in that landscape? And so I wanted to spend some time on spiritual practice, this invitation we're making. Simply put, a spiritual practice is about developing habits that ground you, that open your attention up in new ways, 
and that connect you to something larger than yourselves. That's what a spiritual practice is. It's developing habits that help you pay attention in different ways, that open you up to something bigger, and then you just repeat that process again and again. Many of us have spiritual, uh, well, they're not spiritual practices. We have a lot of habits and practices, right? Like if you have a smartphone, like we're, we have a lot of habits. I have a lot of habits, okay, <laughs> with my smartphone, checking it, looking at it, use it all the time. So a spiritual practice is just developing a different habit that helps you pay attention and connect with something larger in your life. Tim Griffin from the Unitarian Universalist College of Social Justice, he writes that the ingredients of spiritual practice are attention, intention, and repetition. Just repeat that. Attention, intention, and repetition. He says attention means being in the present moment and noticing what's happening within you and around you and being with that with an open heart, with some curiosity. So what's going on right now for you? Are you checked out? Are you thinking about you're on the party planning team for the parking lot and you're like, I hope the parking lot's done next Saturday. I hope the parking lot's done. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking a lot about the party. Like, how are we gonna have all that in, happen in the building? Maybe you're thinking about a list of things to do after this service. Spiritual practice says, just notice that. Where is your attention? What are you noticing? Who is around you? What is happening in this moment within and outside of you? What are you noticing right now? That's what a spiritual practice asks you to do. Intention is about deliberately nurturing a sense of connection to something larger than ourselves. Connected, intention is about deliberately nurturing a sense of connection to something larger than ourselves. And then repetition turns it into a habit that builds awareness and patience and passion. It doesn't have to be complicated having a spiritual practice. Worship can be your spiritual practice where you, once a week, you settle into this hour and you pay attention to the stirrings in your heart as you listen, as you sing, as you rest in the silence of this place, as you notice, oh my gosh, I'm crying, I'm weeping. What is going on? You can notice what is happening within and around you with curiosity, with an open heart. In worship in this space, you can easily set an intention of connecting to something larger than yourselves. It could be your fellow congregants, these people around you with lives equally as broken and beautiful and complicated as your own. You could connect with the spirit of life or God, whatever language works for you. You can allow yourself to sense that deep ocean connection that is here. Week after week, you build this worship habit. You pay attention, you set intentions, and then you repeat it the following Sunday. Spiritual practice could also be as simple as a mindful walk around your block every morning, noticing what's around you and within you and setting intentions to stay connected to the beauty of this world. Spiritual practice could be 15 minutes a day of completely focusing on your child if you have children, or a niece, or a nephew, or your partner, or even your pet, and simply taking them in as the gift and the wonder that they are. Just be present with another living being. I sometimes combine these things. I often go for a short walk with our one-year-old around the block. You know, if I'm walking by myself, it's like a three-minute walk around the block. But with a one-year-old, this is like an adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> there are squirrels. <laughs> there are cars. There are 
dogs and other people and sidewalks you can climb up and handrails and trees to feel. It's wild. Check out your block sometime. It is amazing. And so I do that with our one-year-old and I really pay attention. What is he seeing? What is he noticing? How is his language changing from just the day before to this noise he's making now as he points at a car or a tree? What is happening? For him, what's happening for me in that 15 minutes? So anything with attention, intention, and repetition can be a spiritual practice, and worship is a great place to start. The second invitation is to join a smaller community within the larger community, and this is where this program guide comes in. We want you to be a part of a smaller community within this larger community where you are known, where you know others, where your joys and struggles and heartbreaks, your raw edges and your great strengths can be seen and held. A smaller community can also be a place where spiritual practice can happen, a place for deep listening, a place where the goal is not to fix or correct or advise someone or be fixed, but just to practice listening deeply to where love is moving. And then finally, we're inviting you with bravery and humility and compassion to work with others for justice, to engage in faithful action in the world. The heart of this practice is about relationship building. What I am learning, what many of you are teaching me, what our racial justice journey is teaching me, is that intimate, authentic relationships always lead to justice. Think about this in the context of the marriage equality work that we did a couple of years ago. When we began to share and listen and tell the stories of the people we loved and heard from the people we loved who were in same-sex relationships, how could we not work for marriage equality in this state? Justice is about intimate, authentic relationships. It is a author, Marvin Ellison says it this way. He says, justice is the ongoing, never-ending journey to remake community by strengthening relationships. So we're inviting you to see faithful action and justice work as a kind of spiritual practice, as a way to increase our awareness of the interconnectedness of life and a way to see these larger systems and structures that prevent the fullness of our humanity from blossoming. Justice is intimate. It's hearing another's story, understanding their experience, seeing their resilience and strength, and then together working for shared liberation. We do our faithful action work with the racial justice lens. That's the entry point, the, the portal, if you will, as we work on issues around homelessness and the environment and education. And spiritual practice is critical to our faithful action efforts. I'm on a working group that's part of the Faithful Action Council. We're building a, a toolkit for spiritual reflection for all of the people who participate, all of you, with our community partners so you can do spiritual reflection work as you participate with our partners so that you stay grounded and transformed by the experience. I think this is really critical because too often in my experience I have seen those who yearn for justice without a spiritual practice become angry and righteous and alienate the very people that they could be in partnership with and coalition with to work for change. And so a spiritual practice keeps that justice work grounded. It makes it sustainable. A last time, these three things we're inviting you into. Maybe you know them by now. Do you guys have these locked in, locked in your, your brain? I, I, I'm going to say them. I'm going to say them. <laughs> 
We are inviting you to cultivate a spiritual practice. We're inviting you to join a smaller community within this larger community. And we're inviting you with humility and bravery and compassion to work with others in service to justice, to engage in our faithful action ministry. And this is all of one cloth. These invitations dance together. It is not spiritual practice or justice work. It is woven together. And it is our collective, self-corrective discerning and dreaming that has brought us as a faith community to this place. We have listened deeply to the promptings of love, and this is where it has led us. We know why we're here. We know we don't have to do life alone. We know that we will do what we can with what we have where we are. We know that we are not separate from the rest of the world and that our own health and well-being means very little if the world is sick and suffering. So friends, I am not sure we're a second grade classroom, but maybe we're not that far off either from a second grade classroom. We are creating and recreating this sacred space to live, love, learn, and grow together in. We are creating and recreating this sacred space where love, where communion calls to us, waits with us, builds with us, and inevitably leads us to justice. This is the life we're inviting you into. We need you. We need you. You are wanted and welcome. Amen.